0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another version of Bill Roden on sports. Still on the road. Uh, Last time we did Bill Bill Roden on sports, I spoke to Jamal from... uh, somewhere in South Carolina. <laughs> uh, I think I think it was now, I think it was Beaumont,
0: Texas actually. Beaumont. Oh, that's yeah. right. Beaumont,
1: Texas. You told me to hurry up and get through Texas.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was worried about you.
1: Yeah, I got through, man. Texas must be Texas is the longest state in the universe, man. I'm <laughs> right. like, "Are we still in Texas?"
0: Jeez. Right. It looks
1: anyway, like it. Anyway, but now I'm in Las Vegas, uh Nevada, and uh you know, speaking from Las Vegas with uh, of course my co-host, great Jamal Murphy, Jamal. What's happening?
0: Same as always. Great to be here out out in uh, you know not too bad Manhattan. You know the weather's getting a little better. I think it's global war- warming is kicking in.
1: Yeah, I know you know joy now and uh, our our guest you know glad to bring him back again for the third time with a new gig uh, is uh, the extremely talented Jonathan Jones. Uh, Jonathan Jones is a uh, writer, football writer for Sports Illustrated, SportsIllustrated.com. Uh, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Again. Hey.
2: Yeah. I appreciate y'all having me back. It's uh, it's always a pleasure and an honor.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, you know, when the last time we spoke, man, you were with the uh Observer. <laughs> and then next thing you know, this guy's right for Sports Illustrated. What
2: happened? I mean ta- <laughs> Look, talent you know, prevail.
1: I know beside talent prevailed. <laughs> exactly. how, did, how did
2: that happen? Well, fortunately, you know, they uh they called wind of me. I had an intern there. Uh, back when I was in college at at UNC Chapel Hill, and uh, and so they they knew of me a little bit, and then of course, you, you see it every year almost. Whenever kind of a an unknown team or a not well known team uh, goes deep in the playoffs or goes to the Super Bowl, usually like that next year, one of the beat writers from that team ends up getting a national gig. <laughs> and I don't know if that's because the, they they realize that there are local that there's there's talent locally. Or if they just, like, found this pattern and talent or not, they had to go get the beat writer. I'm not sure which one it was for me. Uh, but as the Panthers uh, went 17-2 and two last year, uh, obviously I had a little higher profile than in previous years. And so I'm very fortunate they called. And uh, when they call, you go. And that's what I did.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm so happy for you, man, because you, you're just such a talented writer. And, uh, you know, and by the way, they just don't hire anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> you know, don't don't sell yourself, sure, you you are, uh extremely talented guy. I'm just think I the time the, I, the time should have hired you, but once again anyway not, you know, uh <laughs> just just congratulations, man. Uh so, so what's what's your assignment and uh what what's the difference in coaches before we start talking about football from what you do what you're doing with uh, uh Carolina, the, the Charlotte Observer. now are you still living in Charlotte?
2: I'm still in Charlotte. That's right. So I'm I'm Definitely. working remotely, uh, obviously, right. and, and so I'm not I'm not in Manhattan uh, like Jamal, and, and <laughs> that's probably better for me. Right. Uh, uh, I I like my my climate, uh, and and my four seasons. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's been good. It's it's strange, kind of going from the daily beat writer grind, and especially the beat writer grind in this digital era where you might be putting out three to four things a day during the season, be it a blog or, you know, some kind of transcript, some kind of Q&A, you know, some kind of bells and whistles for the Sunday sports section to, you know, writing three things a week. And obviously those Mm. are going to be higher impact pieces. um, But having that freedom and that autonomy, and SI and SI.com has given me a great deal of autonomy uh, to write, uh, not just about football and X's and O's, because there are plenty of people at SI who write about X's and O's a lot better than I. Uh, but to write about uh, intersections of sports and culture, uh, sports and, and race, uh, religion, uh, you mm. get into criminal justice. And so um, I, I've been very fortunate uh, that the editors there have let me do that, and its it's been a very good marriage so far, you know, four months in. Mm.
1: What, w- what would you say to um, – there a lot of people who want to get into this business. You know, yeah. you hear it a lot. Of course, I hear a lot, you know, Jamal – and he's, he's you know he's been you know uh, pushing that boulder up the hill you know based on 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 where you are at this moment what um, I, to young people particularly young people of color and young black folks in particular who, who want to crack it who want to do what you do you know what do you what do you tell them I mean is there is it any clearer to you now than it was like say five years ago you know it's it's not really and I'll,
2: I'll tell you why. I know a lot of folks who who kind of get into this business a little bit later than I did. So when I got into it, I started as an intern at the local uh, newspaper my sophomore year of high school. And so I was taking calls, um, you know, middle school girls, volleyball, uh, making sure you get everybody's name spelled right to get the brief in the paper. Um, you know, I was taking calls Friday nights rather than going out to the basketball games or the football games. And so, and I worked my way up in high school. And so I don't really know if that kind of like desk clerk intern position at the local newspaper is still around, or if it will be around, or if somebody who's 20 or 20 years old, who figures out, okay, this is what I want to do. Uh, if that's a viable option for them, but that's the way that I got into it and worked my way up from 15 years old on. Um, that said, yeah, there's the typical advice of, you know, you read all the time. You read everything that you can. Um, but I will say this, and I see I see advice to the contrary a lot, that when you're in college, uh, a lot of folks say major in something other than journalism. Mm. And I understand that sentiment, but I will say that my time at, at UNC's journalism school helped me uh, meet and, and be involved in a network that you mm. could not do if you were a, a major in you know, religious studies, for example, I still mm. took religious studies courses. I still took a lot of English courses, things that really interested me, peace, war and defense courses. But I also got to meet uh, ESPN president John Skipper, uh, mm. along with a, a very small handful of other uh, journalism students because I was in the journalism school. Um mm. uh, And so I I really do think, I think a lot of people, a lot of young folks will hear from from people, hey, you don't have to major in journalism. I don't know if that's necessarily the case because my network at a very great journalism school, which UNC has, uh, led me to a lot of opportunities.
1: Mm. Yeah, That's actually, I'm one of those people who say that. (laughs) 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 No, but I think that you really raise a good point. And then there's generational. I mean, you know, if, if you come out of school in 19. 69 or something or 70 you know maybe you would you would you might be an english major you might be something i mean because the sports industry wasn't what it was then and journalism wasn't was it was you know wasn't then what it is now so yeah, you're you're you i think you're 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 onto something uh, um um i know, think there's just of, two signs there are two sides of the coin and and
2: obviously you want to be as well-rounded as possible but if I'm speaking specifically to uh, younger folks of color, I think that getting in that network at a young age is is, is much better because breaking into that network as a person of color uh, in this industry uh, may be a lot tougher. And so as soon right. as you get into that network, I think would be better. That's, That's a good great
1: point. point. That's a, that's really see that's 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 why his brother keeps moving. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> he's brilliant. Have you done any teaching? No,
2: no, I haven't. I'm 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 still working on myself. But but mm-hmm. you know when when folks email me or anything, listen, there were so many folks who who passed along advice and took you know twenty minutes to write me a, a lengthy email. So I do that every opportunity I get.
1: Nice, nice, nice. nice. You know, so, so let's, let's let's talk um, about you know. Football. I mean, obviously, we got you know the playoffs coming up, real football. But you know, last time we spoke to you, man, we spoke to you a couple times um, mm-hmm. last year. And last time we spoke to you, man, we talked about you know Carolina. Carolina was you know Cam Newton was dancing and every everything was happy. Everything was was a party. You know, uh, you know what happened, man. I mean, you know, you t- you you had that great Super Bowl run with them, um, and then I guess did, did we talk to you post? Press conference, post-Super Bowl press conference?
0: I, I don't not, think so, I think
1: yeah. I think Yeah, I don't think so. I
2: think we talked near the end of the regular season, and then we talked in, in the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl week.
1: Um, right, with everything still no, on upbeat.
2: Exactly. And so my quick take on that press conference was, and here's my take with Cam, and there's been some things uh, since then in that vein, and I'm not talking about uh, not wearing a tie, Uh, But there have been there have been things with Cam that you know he's with the Super Bowl press conference, and we'll just take it from here. He he is a guy as a quarterback. You are a role model for kids. Now you don't necessarily have to embrace being a role model for kids. You know the famous Charles Barkley advertisement, for example. Just because you happen to be a quarterback doesn't doesn't mean that you have to just throw your arms around it. What Cam has done, though, is he has thrown his arms around it, fully around it, his Nickelodeon kids show, the things that he says in these press conferences, his foundation, the events that they do, how involved he is both in the Charlotte community and the Atlanta community, and how important he still is to a lot of communities in Alabama uh, in and around Auburn. He has fully embraced the hero to young children, the role model to young children. And so when you do that, Unfortunately, you then cannot do whatever you want, and so you want to you want to walk off the stage. You want to the reporters' questions are dumb. I get it, I totally get it. But when you have put yourself out there as this guy that you that you tell parents, look, you can trust when your kids are watching me that I am influencing them in a positive way. You can't you can't do what he did in the Super Bowl.
1: Mm. Did you? Were you were you stunned by that for for people who don't realize what happened because this last year is like ancient history. You know, Cam just um, – I guess this guy shut down. I mean, you know, he was – clearly yeah. it was awful performance. It was, you know. Well, the and, Denver uh,
0: defense had a lot to do with that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a pretty good defense. So, Carolina's
2: right tackle didn't help too much either. Uh, yeah. Is he still there? He is still there. In fact, he yeah. had to play left tackle this season um so there's part of the reason why they're six and ten no I wasn't I wasn't all that surprised because with Cam obviously he does not take losing well we all know that this is obviously the biggest stage he's ever been on and if he loses well you can't even go over that scenario with him before right because you don't want to put the thought into anyone's head that week hey if you lose here's what we need to do and so when you do when he does lose Okay. Well, after the game ends, do you put that? Do you start telling him what to do? No, because he's not listening to anything at all. Uh, he's completely tuned everything out. And so, um, media obligations be damned, it, it doesn't matter at that point.
0: So, what do you think about? Do you think there was a hangover? Do do you think that that Super Bowl experience, you know, played a role in 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 his performance this year, or you think it was more team related? and the deficiencies the team had?
2: Well, it was definitely both. I mean, I think the Super Bowl hangover is very real. I think the NFL didn't give the Carolina Panthers – they didn't give the loser of that week one game. They didn't do them any favors because it is very clear the imagery that's going on. No, you're not at a neutral site, but you're playing a team that just beats you Mm -hmm. uh, in the Super Bowl. Here you are again, and it's the first time in NFL history there's been a Super Bowl rematch uh, to kick off in primetime, to kick off the season. And so the Panthers losing that game as closely uh, as they did, I think did set a tone for the season. I think there are two things, I think, or there are three things. It's one, it's that tone. It's two, I think Cam very clearly regressed as a quarterback. Uh, his mechanics have not always been uh, super refined, but this year there was no doubt that he regressed. Now, uh, kind of parts A and B to that, his offensive one. They were, they were unhealthy. Uh, his wide receivers, especially Kelvin Benjamin, uh, I know he was coming off a devastating knee injury, but he was not good in his third year mm. uh, in the NFL. And then the third point was I think there was, despite Ron Rivera's best efforts, I think there was, uh, to battle complacency, there was complacency in training camp. When I was at the Observer, and I was still at the Observer at the start of training camp, if we had put out a projected too deep uh, depth chart At the start of camp, it would have matched up almost exactly with what the starting lineup was and the 2-D in week one at Denver, minus the punter and, I think, the other corner. And so that speaks to there not being a great deal of competition um, Um. in training camp. And so if you want to talk about we're not going to be complacent, we understand we're 0-0, and once they got to training camp, we knew who was going to be the starters. We knew who were the primary backups. And there were really no surprises. I think that falls on the general manager. I think that falls on the Mm. coach. And it was a failure uh, from the top down. And so I was not surprised uh, once they went to one and two that they went to one and three, one and four, and ultimately one and five.
1: Wow. Uh, Was there any, you know, they always up with the locker room and something. Was anything going on in in the locker room, quote unquote? You know, we use the mythical, the locker room. But was there anything, you know, uh, going on uh, in the locker room in terms of dissension and leadership and finger pointing?
2: You know, I don't think so. Uh, you know, those those guys—they are a good group of guys. They had, for the most part, all just gone to the Super Bowl. I think a lot of people want to point to Josh Norman again. Like, yeah, you you lost Josh Norman, but you added Kelvin Benjamin, and really the rest of the team was the same. These are the same guys that you went fifteen and one with and went to the Super Bowl with. And so, um, you know, I, I I didn't see any kind of finger pointing or outside of any kind of normal six and ten losing locker room. Right, right. there was nothing. There was nothing there in October that you could point to and just be like, oh, wow, okay, well, these guys have no chance.
1: Well, you know, en- enough of the losers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're now, I mean, this, I think, is one of the greatest times. Probably all sports, just playoffs. That's kind of, you know. Um, uh, now, now I, your, your assignment with, with uh, you said it's not just football, but uh, it's, it's a lot of things. It it's convergence of a lot of stuff, but um, you're going to be doing the playoffs. What do you What do you think of? Um, you wrote a fascinating. Speaking of your news, now you wrote, you wrote an absolutely fascinating uh, piece for .com uh, about um, you know Michael Vick and the, the culture, uh, you know the, the culture of Atlanta and Atlanta football uh, since Vick. I mean it was, uh, I think this is what people could reference it's called Atlanta Rising. The Falcons and their fan base embark on a new era a uh, really great piece is January, uh, today, right? The 19th. Yeah, it, it was you. a really great piece, man. And, uh, and you know, what i was noticed is it, it was long. I mean, you really stretched out. And, uh, mm-hmm. I guess these are just probably the kinds of pieces that, that we could look forward to, uh, from you. Um, but how did that, how did that is really a great, really great piece. And I love the idea of using Michael Vick as sort of the timeline moving forward. How, how did you come up with that? And, uh, Sort of did did you did it give you any deeper insight into Atlanta? Who, by the way, I still don't trust.
2: <laughs> Nor should you. They have to prove it, and I think they know they have to prove it. You know, here's here's what got me about it was it, I started really thinking about this story probably three weeks ago, and I'm from the Charlotte area, so Atlanta That's was right. you know the next closest big city, and so I came down to Atlanta a lot um, as a kid growing up and, and into college. There were two things that, that kind of bothered me. One, the Georgia Dome is about to close, and I think the Georgia Dome has a great history. Uh, it yeah. hosted two Super Bowls. It's hosted, I think, three Final Fours. Uh, the Falcons, they'd like to have a little more history in that building uh, than they have had. But I, it, it's closing, and I don't think that it, it gets the respect – or, or the the glowing obituaries that some place like the Meadowlands, for example, got, or <laughs> other places, because they're in the it's Northeast the of
0: all, all places, Korea right?
2: Yeah, is centered. Like, yeah, I mean, it was not a good stadium, but I can't. I, there were so many farewell pieces to that, and I haven't seen anything on the Georgia Dome. And, and the other thing was, we hear so much, especially now with these four teams, about their fan bases and and how. They're so intrinsically linked to the city. I'm thinking about the Steelers, obviously. You're clearly thinking about the Green Bay Packers. And Atlanta could, obviously doesn't have that. One, they don't have that because they haven't had a, a consistently winning franchise in Atlanta. But then, two, you always hear Atlanta is a transient town. Well, yeah, that is true. But Atlanta is also, in, in my opinion, the biggest American city that is so integrated and so heavily integrated, and I think somebody in my piece were, uh, said comfortably diverse, and and it was an important point to note because you can look at the census numbers on a few of these other major cities and say, okay, yeah, that's you know 50% black or no, no 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 Atlanta is actually integrated, and I think that that's a really fascinating thing for for the only NFL city uh, that in my opinion is, and I've been to a lot of them on game days, and I don't see the kind of tailgating scenes, this very integrated tailgating scene wow. uh, anywhere
0: else. Now that's that's really interesting. Yeah, because w- when, you, when you think about cities like Chicago, uh, you know, it's the black people on the south side and white people on the north side. Mm-hmm. You don't really see the integration. And I'm not all that familiar with Atlanta, but, you know, I, from reading your piece, that was an interesting point.
2: Yeah, and so it also looked at, after Vic... And, and so what was it like in Atlanta during the Vick years? And so obviously everybody who was coming up at that time, myself included, I mean, you, you wanted to be Michael Vick. Michael Vick was a rock star. You had his shoes, right? And people started uh, – he had those cornrows, which I don't know. I wasn't a cornrow dude. But <laughs> people – you know, like he was such – he transcended results. He transcended Atlanta. And he was an actual real black quarterback in everything that that means. And so when what happened, the dogfighting deal happened, um, I was wondering how much wind that took out of the sales of both Atlanta uh, and, and their fan base. And in talking with folks, it was clear that there was a divide between uh, the black Atlanta fans and the white Atlanta fans. And it wasn't a matter of, of guilt or innocence. You know, Obviously, he pleaded guilty. But there was a, a distrust betw- uh, among black fans uh, that the Falcons had just kind of washed their hands of him a little too quickly, that they didn't stand up for him at the press conference and say, hey, you know, we love and support Michael, uh, he, can, he can play, and we're going to see what the judicial process brings. And because of that, there was uh, a sour taste in, uh, in, a, in the mouths of a fan base in a city that at the time was 61% black. And Mm. and so how has that recovered? And again, who followed up Michael Vick? It wasn't another Cornrow brother. It was it was Matt Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) And and so you know and and you know that's taking nothing away from Matt Ryan, who has been a successful Mm. quarterback who will be the league MVP this year. But it took some time, and so it's looking at that, and it's also evaluating Atlanta's culture and how, as I mentioned, Atlanta was sixty one percent black. At that point, now it's 54% black, and now you have a massive gentrification Mm. continuing to go on in Atlanta. And so so some of the things are changing. You have the Braves who moved away from Turner Field, a predominantly black neighborhood, and moved up to the suburbs to Cobb County, and that has a lot of folks uh, feeling a certain way. You have the Hawks who every other month seem to be putting their foots in their mouths about about black people. And so you you just kind of have – this is your base. Atlanta. And so, what have the Falcons done the past ten
0: years? You you also brought into it a lot of hip hop and the influences of uh, Atlanta hip hop or this or Southern hip hop in general. And I was just wondering, uh, you know, what did what did you what were you trying to to get at with that with that correlation?
2: Yeah, I just think uh, again, I think that Dirty South and and Atlanta rap, while uh, mainstream. May still not necessarily be as appreciated. Going back to my Georgia Dome point, it may not be as appreciated in the mainstream um, as it as it should be. You know, I think a lot of folks still kind of think about East Coast West Coast rap, and and you know that's obviously LA and New York, and that's not Atlanta and that's not Houston. Um, but when you look at Atlanta and what what was going on in the early 2000s when Vic was transcending the NFL, uh, there was also Ludacris and Usher and Sierra and Little John and and Outcast was at the height of, of their fame. Mm. Um, mm. There was so much going on in Atlanta. It had to be this amazing time. And now you look at it as the Falcons 10 years after Vic's conviction, mm. um, and, and they're rising again. Well, what's going on in Atlanta? You have uh, Donald Glover's Atlanta that just won a Golden Globe for Best uh, best Television Series for Comedy. You have Bad and Bougie and and Black Beatles number one or number two on the billboard charts every single week since Thanksgiving like Atlanta is absolutely on the map right now and I don't think people understand that
1: right.
2: and, uh,
1: you, you, yeah yeah that's, that's a great such a great announcement and I mean I've never been a big fan of Atlanta I guess I can't go there again but, <laughs> yeah, be careful but, but 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 you know i'm'm I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. And that time you mentioned Vic, I mean, I thought that was one of the most exciting times in NFL history, you know, recent history. Um, you know, I mean, a- as you mentioned, as you captured it, um, uh, Atlanta was just on fire. And, you know, Michael Vick was yeah. Michael Vick was the, the, the most exciting player in the National Football League. At any given time, he was the best athlete on the league. He was, he was the fastest in the league. You know, I mean, he was just, it was just amazing. And you're right now, you, you know, uh, but they, 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 there were still these disappointments, you know, there were still some disappointments that um, I always thought that, you know, Vic was going to be, you know, the, the, the he was going to actually really be the one that really changes this whole thing around, changes the whole paradigm of the black quarterback. I guess, you could argue that he did, in in, in 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 a great extent, but it's interesting to now they're they um, I don't know if you call them a better team, but they're they're clearly uh, I think when they were at this juncture before, they were in Green Bay, right? They lost they lost to Green Bay. I think
2: when the they NFC. when they got to the NFC title game, they they were at home and they lost to uh, to the 49ers uh, okay. who went on to lose to the Ravens, and so uh, and then the, the one other thing on Vic. I think it was great a couple weeks ago they brought him out um, and and the city and the fan base. And Vic, everyone is kind of healed from that. They they loudly cheered for him. He was back in the stadium uh, last week against Seattle. I think he was in the suite with Arthur Blank. Uh, And so, you know, time heals some wounds, and and that's what's happened in Atlanta.
0: That's great. Yeah, because if there's ever a person that you thought might not be embraced again, It would be Vic, and it's almost like he's kind of like a, uh, almost like Allen Iverson in Philly. You know, right? Yeah. Now all of a sudden, yeah. Now all of a sudden, you know, everybody loves you again because I mean they were transcendent athletes.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, but yeah, I think with with Vic, I mean, he, he did pay his, do, you know, pay to his time. Yes. I mean, I well. like he got, you know, Vic didn't get away with anything. <laughs> you know? Nothing. I mean, he, no, and he's still not
2: getting away with it. Like he he almost did two years in federal prison along with not only did he do everything that PETA asked him to do afterward, right. that that has still been going on to yep. this day, it seems. And in fact, one person said to me, uh, a very respected person that I had quoted in that story, they said that it's almost like Peter has held him hostage over the mm. years, and I, and it's tough to kind of argue that point when you mm. really think about it. So this is a man that has absolutely paid his dues, and so after ten years, when do you stop saying Michael Vick, the the dog fighter and dog abuser, and when do you just start, you know, making that kind of a a part of his biography, but certainly not coming right after his name.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, so what do you? I'm just curious. So what do you think of Matt Ryan? I mean, I. I sort of, and, and it probably wouldn't right, but as soon as the Vic era ended, any interest I had in Atlanta ended. You know, kind of like when yeah. Serena, Venus, and Serena stopped playing tennis, I probably <laughs> won't watch tennis anymore. Or you know, when Tiger stopped playing golf, well, there goes golf. You know, right. you know don't play <laughs> golf for me. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> uh, you know, but what what um, what what what's Ryan been been like? I mean, he's been. You know, I always think of the thing as well. You got the white hero now, so everybody's got to kind of breathe sigh of relief. You know, but what's he? What, in your estimation, what's he been like?
2: You know what? I think that he has very gracefully understood his predecessor, the mm-hmm. situation that they were in, um, I, I, and obviously he's been a winner on the field. Uh, there right. was a there was a stretch there when Mike Smith was the head coach that for the five years that he was the head coach and they were going to the playoffs, and that included the 2012 run, that only Bill Belichick had a better five-year stretch than Mike mm. Smith and those Falcons. And so I think before this season, I think everyone would probably say that Matt Ryan had underachieved as a quarterback. He was a he was a pretty good quarterback, drafted number three overall, but he was never that star quarterback. Oh. He was your franchise quarterback, you know, a tick better than, than Kirk Cousins. <laughs> and so now that they had... Uh, and, uh, yeah, so that's not really... That's a great put-down, put by the way. <laughs> yeah. Kirk but, you know, this year, Kyle Shanahan, in his second year as offensive coordinator, has really unlocked the secret to the Falcons' offense. And you had Julio, who, again, you want Julio to be healthy and he's just always going to have that foot injury that's going to keep him out of a couple games every year or take him out of the third quarter of of a game or something like that just like what happened last week um but he has Kyle Shanahan now they have a very fast-paced offense an explosive offense I think only five other teams in NFL history scored more points than these Falcons did and and so we're starting to see what you hoped Matt Ryan would be probably in year five it's happening in year nine, but at least he wasn't bad years five through nine. He was just, you know, a little bit better than good, but you wanted him to be great then. Well, now he's great. And so mm-hmm. do you hold the past four or five years against him? Uh, maybe if, if you're a diehard Falcons fan, you do. But for <laughs> me, at least
0: it's happening. Well, they have so many so many weapons around him too. I mean, you got Julio Jones. He has a great running attack. Uh, what about the defense? Do you see the defense holding up against Green Bay?
2: You know – I don't see either one of these defenses holding up. Um, I know. <laughs> right. You know, I, I think this is going to be a 38 to 35 kind of game. And it, mm. it might even be like last team with the ball uh, that, mm. that wins the game, just like the Dallas game was. Right. I think we have a very similar game to that, where they start trading a couple field goals there at the end. And it's a matter of who has 30 seconds on the clock and can get past uh, midfield.
1: Mm. Well, what do you think? I'm just curious. what do you think of Dak Prescott? Um, I mean, it's Clearly, they, they lost. But what did you think of him this season?
2: Yeah, you know, I went out to Dallas. I was there for, for that Green Bay game. And then I, I went out there and, uh, and did a piece on Ezekiel Elliott earlier in the season. So I spent some time around that. Um, I'm, what a kid. Because you think at the beginning of the year, you remember all those uh, all those rookie or first year quarterbacks who were who were just killing it? Like obviously Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't a rookie, but it was his first time starting. He was crushing it. Right. Uh, you had uh, Carson Wentz right. crushing. It. Dak Prescott was crushing. It. Even Cody Kessler, the Browns' quarterback, he got a win or two earlier. Or no, he didn't. But he, he, no, was he was was <laughs> well. yeah, no, no. But he was playing well. And so I, I right. remember writing a piece probably like week three. It was like, hey guys, pump the brakes. Let, let's not let's not start getting their bus ready for Ken right? I mean, this is just, we, this is, this is very early in their rookie season. They're going to come down to earth. It turns out, obviously, Garoppolo didn't get an opportunity to come down to earth. Uh, Carson Wentz fell to earth, and Dak Prescott got even better, and there was no rookie wall for him And how he handled uh, the Tony Romo situation. Uh, I was very, very impressed by that young man now. Again, I just came off a season covering the Carolina Panthers 15-1, and they went to 6-10, and so I don't know if 13-3 and Cowboys going to the NFC Divisional round means that they get back there and, and host another playoff game next year. Uh, when you start thinking about it, the last time that the, the Cowboys were in the NFC Championship game uh, was 96, which was 21 years ago. So that baby that was born that night that the Cowboys last won an NFC uh, uh, conference game, uh, title game, that baby can now drink.
1: <laughs> yeah. And a lot, a lot of Cowboy fans been drinking since then still, because <laughs> it's just true. been one frustration after, including by the way that game. I mean, I know we're talking about the teams that survived, but even that game was was frustrating. And extended, even though I guess when you think when you really look back on it, Aaron Rodgers, and, and again, you know, you know, I'm I'm sort of this whole I always look I always look suspiciously at the whole white hero thing, you know, and people mm-hmm. who's trying yeah. to get the great white hope and that kind of stuff. You know, Rodgers really delivered, man. I mean, I mean, he's still only won one Super Bowl championship, but yeah. really this season, probably beginning with, uh, we're gonna run the table. I mean, he's he's just been on fire. I, mean, I I think he's played maybe better than anybody in the league except Brady. And maybe, you know, I don't even know if that's a fair comparison because <laughs> they have to they're asked to do completely different
0: things. And don't, and don't forget, yeah. don't forget Matt Ryan, who we were talking about before. I think he. He led the league in term in passer rating, I believe, and then it was uh, Brady, then then Dak Prescott. But going, I mean, just just to touch on Dallas's last time, I know obviously, you know, nothing's given, especially in the NFL. But you got to like Dallas's chances in the future with with not only Dak Prescott, but with Ezekiel Elliott and uh, the offensive line. I mean, there's not they're not too many teams that are, that are that young at those key positions and that and that have proven to be that good.
2: Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, clearly what Dak and Zeke did throughout the season where they didn't hit a rookie wall, that has to make you feel good. They have uh, invested a lot of draft picks in that offensive line. A couple of – you know, Tyron Smith is on his second contract now. You don't have to pay offensive linemen a whole heck of a lot, especially interior linemen. So when they get on their second contract, that's not going to be a huge chunk out of their salary cap. They have to find more consistent pass rush. Uh, there has they have they just don't have that, that great pass rusher uh, right now and you know if they want to keep doing this dance with Randy Gregory and the NFL wants to keep suspending him for you know him smoking some weed uh, <laughs> when Mike, when Michael Floyd can be passed out in the seat of his car uh, and get a, and get a DUI but then catch a touchdown pass for Bill Belichick. Uh, a couple Unbelievable weeks later. You know, I think I think that that's actually something the the league really needs to look at. Um, mm. But you know, all that said, they they absolutely have to find another pass rusher if they're going to get over that hump because mm. you know you're not going to play Aaron Rodgers every time you get into the playoffs. But he was able to escape out of that pocket. He wasn't hit enough, and that's what you got to do. You got to hit Aaron Rodgers. You can't contain him in the pocket because he can throw from the pocket, and you can't let him scoot out because he, we we know what he can do when he gets out of the pocket. You have to hit him, and they didn't have anybody that could hit him.
1: Mm. Well, so what do you think of uh, of uh, Sunday's, Sunday's matchup, um, given everything you've, you've talked about you know, with, with Atlanta and resurgence and uh, you know, on a fast track? Uh, what, what do you think of the matchup?
2: I like it. I think it's going to be a lot of offense. I'd love to say – Uh, from a writing perspective bill you understand this i would love to be able to say uh oh there's going to be this defensive stop and we're going to go to the locker room and and get the guy that that sacked rogers or sacked ryan there at the end and it's going to be beautiful i don't think it's going to happen i really i mean i really do think it's going to be a shootout and um and if it is going to be a shootout then i'm going with the team that uh it was the closest to the greatest show on turf that anyone else in the NFL was this season. And so I'm gonna go with the Falcons.
0: Because uh-huh. I do
2: trust Matt Ryan and Kyle Shanahan's offense this year, not because I distrust Aaron Rodgers. It's just in a shootout I'm taking the team that can shoot better and that's the Atlanta Falcons.
0: And they're home. Ah. And they're home like you said and and they no longer need uh, fake crowd noise uh in that stadium. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I forgot about that. The fake crowd noise. So you so you like uh, you like uh, green? Uh, you like Atlanta?
2: Yeah, I like it. I like Atlanta and the NFC, and and I'm I'm happy to see the Georgia Dome on its way out. And I hope that people write flowery obituaries about the Georgia Dome like they did all those other terrible stadiums that they love up there in the north.
1: Well, at least I mean the I mean, now, listen, the Meadowlands was no place to beach, no question about it. But they, there was a, a Super Bowl. A couple Super Bowls came out of it.
0: And and, and, and it was in whatever. the New York City area. Don't forget.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it was it's a terrible state. There's no question about it. <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, I can't even argue. Hey, hey uh, Jim, let's let's take a, a real quick break, and then we'll come back and and look at the uh, uh, look at uh, the Pats in Pittsburgh, and uh, Mike Mike Tomlin outed by one of his own players. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about that when we we'll come back in two minutes.
0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and thirty day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash bill Roden on sports over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iphone android kindle or mp3 player again that's www.audibletrial.com backslash bill Roden on sports check it out
1: i say everybody wants to live. But nobody wants to cry. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Everybody, uh, welcome back to Bill Roden on Sports. Uh, Bill Roden here, and sunny, well, overcast Las Vegas, uh, Jamal, and, uh, um, you know, whatever's going on in Manhattan.
0: Rainy NYC.
1: Right, and Jonathan Jones down in, I guess it was sunny Carolina, Jonathan.
0: Oh, I'm in
2: Atlanta. I'm in Atlanta all week, but it has has been great weather down here.
1: Yeah, that's a good, I mean, a lot of people, I know a lot of people love, 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 love Atlanta, and, uh, I'm always intrigued by it, but I guess you're right. I mean, to think of, of, of Atlanta as a Super Bowl town, you know, sometimes you're a guy with the Patriots and they Green Bay, you know. To think of Atlanta as like uh, as a parade, I, I guess it might be kind of interesting to see them win a Super Bowl, just to, to see how the city reacts to Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons winning a Super Bowl. It's hard to, it's kind of hard to imagine.
0: It is, and, and, yeah, and it the, is. And your point about, you know, being a diverse city, just going back to that again. I mean, I was watching, just watching the games last week weekend, and when they cut to the crowd, it really is the only NFL stadium when 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 the when the cameras cut to the crowd that I see uh, any you know a number of black people, and I just noticed that right. last weekend. So, you know, I might have to start rooting for Atlanta. I don't know.
1: Hey, you, you know yeah, I know. Uh, no, that's actually a good one. You, normally I I'll, I I'll, I'll start with the team with the black coach, the team with the most black players, the team with the black quarterback. Maybe now it's like the team with the most black fans. There you go. <laughs> that that that's Atlanta by far. <laughs> exactly um, by far. Uh, Now on the other on the other end, go to the Patriots. <laughs> uh oh. No hate mail. Um, no hate mail to Bill. Nah, Bo- Boston
2: is very inclusive, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We know Boston has a deep history of being inclusive, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um what do you what do you think of that matchup? Pets, uh, the Pets in Pittsburgh and of course, you know, the big the big dust up uh, uh, uh the big dust up was um
0: uh, Antonio uh Brown. Know,
1: with Mike Tomlin being outed. What what did you what did you think of that? You know, uh Mike Tomlin being outed by one of his players who actually Facebook Live Tomlin.
0: That's something you would do. Buddy. Yeah, I thought
2: that was that was such a, a poor idea by, by Antonio Brown. Like I don't think that he needs to be, you know, quartered in the in the in the court square at at 12 o'clock, right? I mean, like let's let's keep things under uh, under control here. I think a lot of people were outraged, and it was a really dumb thing that he did, and I'm sure he got fined. I'm just making up this figure. I'm sure he probably got fined a a couple, you know, a couple ten grand for what he did. Um, But what Tomlin said in that video, I think Tomlin was kind of taking some grief. You know, he called the the Patriots a holes or whatever. (laughs) I don't know, if he even he, that's coach. That's that's just being a coach. Like he would call the thirty other teams that, um, and and you know these are things that these guys all say to one another, and it's a it's a culture that a lot of people um, are not privy to, or not fortunate enough to understand. Um, and it's it's high intensity, and it's also yeah, I'm down here in Atlanta where they're talking so much about brotherhood and, and family. Mm. Um, and you know, you don't have general managers who, who cut you and family. Uh, and so <laughs> it's not exactly that. Um, but it is important, uh, to, to, have that familial, uh, sense around there. And if you're Facebook living, uh, kind of the, the patriarch, uh, when he's delivering a very important speech, uh, uh that doesn't go over well.
1: Mm. Well, uh, what, what do you think I mean, you've been, obviously all of us have been in locker rooms, um what do you think i mean does the locker room have a, a particular do you think that that, that it that does have a sort of particular um uh what do you call it uh um it, it's kind of off limits it, it's got a particular um uh i forget i'm not coming up with a word but it's it's immune it's uh it's it, it is a special oh, it's place a, the, yeah a it's sanctuary, a sanctuary yeah.
2: if you will yeah I, I, I think so um, to a point I, you know I reported on a story uh, <laughs> but we're talking about this just as the uh, just as the inauguration is about to happen
0: uh, can't wait for that
2: about that I, I reported on a story uh, right before the election about how the locker room discusses politics and what became clear in my reporting of the story was I wasn't going to get very far with a lot of those guys unless they went totally anonymous in in hmm. talking to me, and it was one to hide their political views, and then two to protect what was being said in the locker room among among those guys. And so they really didn't want to go into specifics. They very much wanted to keep what was said in there uh, within those four walls because they do trust um, in in whatever this idea of locker room and family and team is. Uh, and you know, I've never been on an NFL team. I haven't been on a team in quite some time. Uh, but I do, I do understand uh, not wanting to betray that.
0: Right, that's why the Antonio Brown thing was so crazy. I mean, just the fact that you know everybody knows when you're on a team and the and the coach is giving a speech after the game, it's a personal situation. So for Antonio Brown to broadcast that and, and during the broadcast, just it actually seemed like he didn't know he was doing anything wrong, and it was just it, I just didn't get it at all.
2: Yeah, he's always just trying to be a little extra. He's been doing that all season. And, you know, they've had to they've had to tell him to cut it out a number of times. You know, there were the excessive celebration penalties, which we all hate. But, you know, he knew that three thrusts were going to get him a flag, and he kept doing it. He was putting, <laughs> he was putting his team in a bad situation. He knew that not only would he get fined for wearing uh, those customized cleats, but that they could, after a number of times, hold him out of games and that he would hurt his team. But he still kept wearing those cleats and pushing that envelope. And so it was no surprise uh, if this happened that it was Antonio Brown, but, Hmm. you know, fool me once, fool me twice kind of thing. Right.
1: Which is kind kind of interesting that they keep putting up with him. And I guess it's because, and we, you know, Jamal and I talk about it, and I think we may have talked about it before, that it's still about talent. You know, if he yep. was if he was not talented, you know, and I've seen it in 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 youth programs. You see, you know, where where we're just enamored with talent. People get get drunk and inebriated with talent, no matter at what level. And you let things slide because of talent. Right. And when you get all the way to the NFL level, they let this guy just keep getting away with stuff and get, because he's just an extraordinary talent. And now he does this stuff. And you know, I don't know what what impact do you think it may have. Um, on, on, on Saturday, Sunday's game?
2: I don't know if it's going to have any impact. I think, you know, the game you – know, I think what's going to have a greater impact, there's a, there's a flu bug going around that Steelers locker room right now. That's going to have a much larger yeah. impact than that. But, you know, I think I – I haven't been in that Steelers locker room. Uh, I've never even spoken personally to Antonio Brown. I would imagine that those guys understand – of course understand his talent, uh, his fun-loving spirit and if he truly understands, you know, the mistake that he made and apologizes for it, then I think everybody can the, – the, the team can move on. They can kind of look at him sideways and be like, A.B., hey, what are you doing? Uh, mm-hmm. But when it comes to Sunday, they know that they need 130 yards receiving out of him to win that game. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: What do what you think of it, game? Mean, I mean, again, you know, on the other side, you could even imagine somebody in the Patriots locker room doing something like that. Uh, <laughs> Very whew. true.
0: Yeah. Can't, I mean, can't who,
1: imagine who, who could not be
2: cut, uh, and if and anyone else would then be cut. I mean, <laughs> let's not forget, Bill Belichick cut uh, a, a wide receiver the night before the Super Bowl, um, so he, he really does not care. Uh, what do I think about this matchup, though? Um, I, I have a really tough time betting against Belichick and Brady in the playoffs, and uh, you know this goes without really kind of breaking down X's and O's. This is just. It, watching them for the past 16 years, uh, and if you put your money on the Patriots, you are probably right more times than you aren't. And so mm-hmm. that's why I'm going to go with New England. Ah. Yeah. Oh, well. Gonna, I mean, you can't
1: – it's hard. It's hard to – you know, I mean, though I'm sure there are a whole lot of people when when, when, uh, when uh, Thomas said assholes, everybody say, yes! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I'm sure the Patriots are used to it too. It was no surprise. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, 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 honestly, you know, because my, you know, always kind of plays a tight, close to the vest in terms of press conference, all that. And you saw him really raw. Right. And you and it's and it's and it, you know, you can say, yeah, I mean, that's that's, you know, and I guess it it, it you, you gets back to your point, Jonathan, about there's such a sanctity of the locker room. But on the other hand, you know, there are a lot of locker rooms. Your your dining room, the dining room table could be a locker room. Or the kitchen. When you look at our conversations that we have among family, you know, certain friends, when the black folks have their black folks' dinner, you know, um, <laughs> you know that, that's, a, that's a locker room. And there's certain locker room talk that's reserved for a particular group. And I guess you have to say, well, do you get to – is that right? I mean, it, it's the reality, but is it right? I mean, should there be a disconnect between what you say in private and what you represent publicly? You know, so,
2: and I absolutely think so. And when we have the NABJ dinner, you know, uh, out in Houston, uh, mm. what, you know, I, I hope that that's not Facebook Live.
1: <laughs> uh, right.
2: that, you know, well, you we, know what? We got to tell
1: everybody. You
2: know. Yeah, who's putting that
1: together? Yeah. By the way, that's.
2: I, I don't know. I was coming to you on that one. So when you uh, hear
1: something, you let me know. Well, maybe Mike. But but you're right. Whenever it is, whatever it is, you tell everybody. No Facebook Live.
0: Yeah, somebody's, you know, be, somebody's got to be Bill Belichick be
1: devastating <laughs> Yeah, um, we'll, we'll, we'll all
2: gather up and take pictures afterward but, uh, but yeah.
1: yeah, we could do one collective Facebook Live or something But we don't have to, <laughs> yeah. you know, when somebody's doing a fire brimstone speech about, you know, racism And, you know, you know, it's all live no, maybe, I don't know, but maybe they do need to hear it, Joe Johnson Maybe that's why, yeah, maybe, maybe they do need to hear this, you know uh the last thing man speaking of this um we, we we told you we wanted to ask you about kaepernick uh we didn't have a chance to talk to you about that what was your what what did you write about that what was your take on it through the season as as kaepernick was kneeling and um and and that became uh an issue what was your take on it and do you think this is going to continue yes
2: yeah, so i look so far he has been true to his word on on the things that he said right i mean He he said uh, that he was going to donate a million dollars. He is well on his way to doing that. He's showing the progress on his site um, and and what that money is going to.
1: Um,
2: He is doing a very smart thing by helping um, minority, uh, younger minorities understand their rights when they speak with police. And and that education, I think, is is critical. Uh, We can talk all we want. We saw in so many of the uh debates. Uh the the, the the key word was community policing and no one really even knows what that means. Uh but you can just keep saying that enough. And it's like, oh okay. And then you'll right. see on Facebook some picture of a police officer playing basketball in what looks like the projects and they're like, oh that's community policing. Right. Yeah, okay. Well why don't you stop asking people who are just riding their bikes down down the wrong side of the road to pull over when you can just like let them know, hey hop on the other side and just keep moving. And right. so, so with Kaepernick, I think that he is really, he to, to play defense is really the best offense right here, because it, I don't know if he can attack from within that system after the path that he has chosen, which is of course to take a knee during the national anthem. Uh, and I think that that is a, it's a fantastic thing that he's doing, how he's standing up. And so, when he says uh, that, that he won't stand for the national anthem until uh, people of color stop being oppressed by the institutions of America. Well, huh, we're, we're about to find out Friday at noon that none of that's going to stop. Right. Uh, and, and, and we've <laughs> yeah. known that for some time, but none of that is going to stop. And so he's going to be kneeling for a long time word up to this point. Exactly. If, I, I expect him to continue doing it now. But it is important to note that there have been missteps, that Kaepernick has not been perfect on this. You know, the, the, the socks with the, the cops as pigs I thought was in poor taste. I thought the Fidel Castro um, T-shirt was in poor taste. Uh, and then when he was asked about it uh, around the time of Castro's death – uh, while he made a good point about Malcolm X, you cannot look at Fidel Castro in only that vacuum, I think. Right. And so there were a couple of things that I, I was like, ah, I wish he wouldn't have done that or said it that way. But he has been a great orator of his position. Uh, and that's exactly what, what this kind of demonstration needed.
0: Right. And, and you don't have to be a perfect, a perfect guy. Yeah, you don't have to be a perfect guy. I mean, I mean, everybody makes mistakes. He he doesn't. He's not. He doesn't know all about every issue. I was disappointed when he said, uh, you know, another thing he did is that he said that he didn't vote and it didn't, you know, didn't matter who won the election. That kind of hurt yeah, his position. Right. And people, obviously, people who were already against him jumped on him for that. But it doesn't take away the the act. You know, the act the the act that was needed. Uh, you know, taking a stand. For, for wrong that was going on, he did that, and and you know he may make mistakes in other areas, but this was a what he's what he's done and is doing is a huge deal.
1: Mm. Do, do you think he's going to get a job, another job uh, this year and uh, next year?
2: It's going to be tough. I mean, I do think that he showed enough improvement. He was not very good early on, and I think that once he started putting a little more weight on, once he got some more confidence, once he kind of got healthy, I think that he showed enough improvement. Look, he's not. I don't think that right now what I saw makes him a good NFL quarterback. That's okay because there are really only 15 or 16 good NFL quarterbacks, and there are 32 teams. Right. So, you know, you, you, you really – like Blake Bortles is not a good quarterback, but he's a starting quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so, um, like, you know, Tim Tebow, for example, was a terrible quarterback and didn't belong on any team's uh, three-deep depth chart at that position. You cannot tell me that there are 64 quarterbacks that are better than than Colin Kaepernick, and that's right. just it's just not the case. And so, because of that, because of the dearth of talent there, um, I, 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 and because of the progress that he showed, he actually can win you games at the quarterback position, and that is a position that is too important. If he were safety and aging <laughs> corner or something like that, and he was doing this he might not have that kind of rope, but he plays a very important position and he plays it. Um, he plays it good enough where others cannot. And so that's why I think he keeps a job.
1: All right. All right. Hey, well, man, speaking of keeping jobs, this has been, this has been tremendous. Jonathan. Our guest has been um, the great Jonathan Jones. Uh, it's really just a wonderful uh, writer, wonderful thinker about these kinds of issues, which I think is actually more important. And to your point at the very beginning, Jonathan, um, When we're talking about going to journalism schools versus not, Mm -hmm. I think that probably why sometimes I like people who, you know, maybe uh, religious religious studies majors or English majors or, or um, yeah, it is. I think that sometimes in journalism, um, in in sports journalism, that that becomes your world, you know. And sometimes your the context in which you operate are are fairly confined you know to 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 the world of sports um and i think sometimes to be able to to contextualize issues to uh you know to synthesize i think is is a tremendous yeah. gift um you know so some people have it, some people don't you do so um you know i appreciate it, that it, 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 it works <laughs> it, it works well
2: and, and and a lot of that comes from those extracurriculars. And so, you know, again, for for the young folks who are listening, you know, it's it's all about if you do want to go to journalism. If you don't, you do have to have some kind of world outside of journalism. You do have to you do have to read the classics, you know, and then you have to read um, a, a lot of the black classics uh, that are not considered American classics. Um, right. And and so that that obviously should be. Um, but yeah, I, I think that all of that is, is very important to, to be rounded and to, and to do stories that people care about. I'm getting tremendous feedback on this Atlanta piece and that yeah. that didn't come together because I covered high school football in, in college for the for the local newspaper. That came together because I read about <laughs> yeah, because books you're a, a real black, black man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Like Dick was a real black quarterback. He was real. As opposed to, as, as opposed to RG3 maybe. Easy easy I know. No, listen. I I pulled for RG this year. I really, I really pulled for RG three this year. I thought that he was sufficiently humbled, and I thought that he, yeah. I just felt bad that he got hurt. So you know, no longer called Cornwall brother. Hey, hey, our guest has been uh, Jonathan Jones. He's a uh, a writer, a a writer, a a, a Sports Illustrated, SportsIllustrated dot com covers the NFL, but he also covers uh, the convergence and the synthesis of of race and culture and sports and just a, a, a tremendous way. So check him out. What's your handle, uh, Jonathan? It's like Twitter yeah, at, and all that stuff.
2: Yeah. It's at J Jones nine. And then of course you can follow the work on dot All right.
1: Hey, listen, man, you got to come back, um, you know, uh, maybe after this, oh, oh, we didn't ask you. So who's going to be in the Super Bowl? Who's going to win it?
2: Yeah, I got, I got new England and I got Atlanta mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that's what I picked at the beginning of the playoffs. That's what I'm gonna stick with. Uh, I had New England winning. Uh, I reserve the right to change my mind on that. Um, but again, you know, like I told you guys, like I just I really don't like betting against Brady and Belichick in the postseason. Right.
0: But they do they do tough. they do take L's now. Don't forget. I mean they do they do, they do they lose do, sometimes. And,
1: you know, and, and and Pittsburgh Pittsburgh plays him tough now. I mean right. you know, and, so, and in some ways, you know, just like with Ali, sometimes you tell somebody what you think and there's no, you know, polite stuff, and you just – sometimes it works to the – you know, it works to your advantage because there's no you – know this is what I think, <laughs> you know, right. deal with right. it.
0: Right. And my, <laughs> now what? <we're right>. And, <laughs> and more importantly, they have they have three guys at three positions that, that are probably near or close to the top of, of those positions at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. So they have weapons to get it done. So – you know, I'm I'm rolling with no, Pittsburgh no. in that one. Really? Part of part of it is New England hate, but whatever.
1: Yeah, I well, I'll, I'll be very open with that. You know. Hey, hey, Jonathan, thanks so much, man. Have a great time in Atlanta. Have a great time in Houston. I may see you in Houston. Yeah, I
2: hope so. Jamal, Bill, really appreciate it, y'all. Thanks a lot. All man. All right,
1: appreciate you. Take care now. All right. Oh, Okay. Yeah. All right. See you guys on another version of Bill Roden on Sports. Thank you so much. God bless and uh, enjoy football. America's great pastime.